0: This weekend, we're obviously talking about love, what it is, uh, where it comes from, how it can impact my life. So when we read this passage, we need to understand that God's love will impact our, uh, our lifestyle. It will impact the way that you live. If you're a Christian, Casey talked about this last night, if you are a Christian, you will love God and you will love other people. There's not if, ands, or buts. If you love God, and, and uh, the love of God is in you, you will, uh, your life will reflect that, and you will love others. What you and I have to recognize, if you are a Christian, your life will be characterized by a life of loving obedience to the Father. It's not gonna be a life characterized by loving sin. It's not what we see in Scripture So as we walk through this this morning, let's see that first, you either love the world or you love the creator of the world. You either love the world or the creator of the world. The verses we're going through this morning are not super complicated. Let's read verse 15 again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's not a very complicated verse, right? It's pretty straightforward what it's telling us. It says to not love the world or the things of the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. The love of the Father is not in them. But let's ask the question, what is the world? What is the world? Does it mean the earth? Do I have to hate God's earth? No. What about the people living on the earth? No, it's not. it's not talking about those. those two things can become wrong if we love them in the wrong way, but that's not what this verse is specifically speaking on. The way we need to think about the world in this verse is by thinking of the actions, thoughts, and deeds. So the actions, the thoughts, and the deeds that you and I have or share that were negatively impacted by the sin of man. So the actions, thoughts, and deeds that were negatively impacted by the sin of man, uh, to easily think about this, just think sin. You cannot love sin and be a Christ follower. It does not work. So anytime we, we desire things that disregard God or his commands, we're living in sin. So let's wrap our minds around what it means to love the world. Uh, whenever we think about loving the world, so whenever you and I think about that, we must understand that the love of the world is a lifestyle where uh, the, the pleasures that you and I have on this earth is the ultimate goal, where something or someone is the ultimate goal of your life. They are your ultimate desire. They're most important to you. Is a life that has no interest in God, and it ignores him. It is a life that seeks to fulfill our own sinful ambitions rather than seeking the glory of God. This verse we're talking about right here, it's straightforward. Don't love the world, don't love God's creation more than the creator. not difficult. Simple command, straightforward. Loving the world and loving the Father is impossible. It's not just a bad idea. It's not just being frowned upon in Scripture here. It's literally impossible to love the sinful world and to love God. It's like saying, meet me in New York and Paris at the exact same time. Be there at the exact same time. Right? You can't do that. You can't be in two places at once. Loving the world and loving God, it's impossible. You can't do it. If you love the world, you are saying, God, I, would, I prefer to love the thing that you hate. This sinful, uh, These sinful thoughts, actions, and deeds of the world. It just can't happen. God in his holiness is the exact opposite of the sinful world. It's the exact opposite. And we have to see if you are a Christian, loving the world and loving the Father is impossible. Uh, we can't think of it like this. I, I hear this sometimes that since I'm a Christian, I can do whatever I want because God will forgive me. Right? Have, has anyone heard that before? Has anyone heard like since I'm a Christian, maybe we've even thought that before. right? That is uh, baloney. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, God is clear in his word. We can't love sin because God hates sin. All right? Fancy word for that is antinomianism. Uh, so there you go. You learned a new word at, at summer camp. Uh, so we can't love the sinful world and a holy God because they are the exact opposite. Uh, but in this, some of us might be discouraged because we're worried that I have to live a boring life, that I can't have fun, that I can't do what I want to do because now I have to be obedient to God. Right? I, have to, I have to cut myself off from anything in this world that I was taking enjoyment from. Anything in this world that I was taking joy from. And I know that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because we're sinful. But brothers and sisters, that's, that's not the case. God is our creator. He made you and I in his own image. God created us for a specific purpose. And the rules or the commands that we see in scripture are guiding us to how we can best live to fulfill our purpose. He's not doing it to be a killjoy. God knows what we need better than we do. He's guiding us in order for us to to, to flee the sinful world and to glorify him uh, with our lives. So secondly, let's see the emptiness of our worldly pleasures. Verses 16 and 17. Uh, We'll just read 16 right now. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. Uh, so in verse fifteen, uh, we just know that, that uh, John is hitting at like how uh, worldly loving the world is a bad idea, right? We saw that was clear. Loving the world, you can't love the Father and love the world at the same time. So John is starting to get a little more specific on what this uh, what this worldly love looks like. In this verse, um, he's showing us that we can often fall into loving the world and not even know it. He lists three ways we love the world. First, we love the world uh, through the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. These are the sinful desires that arise from uh, our, what things our body wants, uh, things our body may even need. When a person is being tempted by the desires of the flesh, they're living in a way that they cannot or choose not. So they cannot or choose to not control their body. So let's take eating, for example. You have to eat. You do. You have to eat or you'll die. That's just. I don't know if you figured that out yet. You probably have since you're here. Um, But uh, let's say I come home and I was playing video games in high school. And I just eat Cheetos all afternoon. Oh, don't hang on, Cheetos. I'm eating Cheetos all afternoon, Doritos, whatever. Is that necessary for my survival? For me to sit there and, like, have to keep licking my fingers so I can play the game? It's gross, but, right? That's not necessary for my survival, right? I'm choosing to, just because my body wants it, I'm going to stuff my face with these empty carbs that eventually blew you up to insanely overweight. So we can easily take something that is good and even necessary. We have to eat, and we can turn it into sin um, through lusting after that and, and taking this uh, bodily need uh, to where it's sinful. Second, desires of the eyes. This kind of worldly attitude uh, can be fairly broad, right? Desires of the eyes, things, things we're looking at. Um, it can mean looking at someone in an inappropriate way with lustful intent. That's probably what we often think about, right? I shouldn't look at him or her in this way, right? That is, that is wrong for me to do, and we often know that. But in a much more subtle way, this sin is also talking about how we set our eyes on the wrong prize, how we're setting our eyes on the wrong goal, Maybe our, our biggest goal in life is to impress people. And so I'm going to go out of my way to look really good all the time so I can impress people. Or maybe uh, the shoes that I'm wearing, the phone that I have. My biggest desire is to look appealing to someone else so I can gain their favor. Right? We're, we're going out of our way to, to uh, be appealing to the eyes just so we can look at ourselves highly, close aware things we have. Lastly, is the desire for self-glorification. It's pride, is the way we can think about it. Self-glorification. It's pride in oneself. And this is often at the expense of another person. It makes... uh, it's, it's us making ourselves out to be better than someone else for some particular reasons, often uh, even an arbitrary or uncontrollable reason. Uh, uh, think of like pride of your birth. Like you, Maybe you're proud of where you were born. You had no control over that, huh? right? Where you were born, you had no control. Your family, your success, your ethnicity, your social standing, your influence, your wealth, your material possessions, whatever it may be, all of these things are building up your pride to where you think you're better than someone else. You're putting other people down for things that uh, they may not be able to control. You're building yourself up. You're making yourself out to be a better person. And in all of these three categories that we just walked through, this is the one we all probably struggle with the most because it's subtle. It's often easy for you walking down the street and you realize I just looked at that person with lustful intent, and I just sinned. It's hard to catch our, your pride and your self-glorification. It's hard to do that, but we're always trying to make ourselves out to be better than someone else. A lot of times you walk in the room, you start sizing yourself up with other people. How can I be better than this person? How can I be the head honcho of this room? We're comparing ourselves to others and building ourselves up. But those that are in Christ, we do not, we can't do that. We can't come to other people or especially to God pridefully because what the gospel calls us to do is to die to yourself. I am no longer the most important person to me. Christ is the most important person to me. I'm going to die to myself and lower and humble myself in order that I may exalt Christ above all else. And through that, putting others as more important than me. We humble ourselves for the glory of God. But let's get really practical. I don't know, all of of you, I don't know the, the worldly desires and the worldly sins that you struggle with. So here are four ways that we can ask ourselves. They're not gonna be on the screen, so, I'm gonna, so write them down. There are four ways that you can try to help yourself identify the, the, the things of this world that you love, All right? and they're hard to catch, so we have to, we have to uh, look at our heart regularly. Number one, anything of this world that controls my mind to the point that I cannot think about God. I'll say it again anything of this world that controls my mind to the point that I cannot think about God. If you and I are unable to focus our minds on God and meditate on him, we're meditating and focusing on the world. I know for myself, um, when I I think of times of like maybe I'm, I'm, uh, Sunday morning, I'm struggling worshiping and, and singing. Oftentimes, it's because I've got a song stuck in my head uh, or maybe a movie that I watched, whatever. Um, and so in that moment, I'm allowing even something like a song to to interrupt my worship of, my, of God, of the creator of the universe. So sometimes you can't help that. And I get that. I don't, I don't intentionally try to distract myself. But what we have to do is we have to critically look and say, why is this happening? If it, especially if it happens multiple, on multiple occasions. Maybe you stop listening to a specific artist or uh, you stop listening to songs uh, before church. Anything that can help you focus better on Christ. And if you're not willing to give up music, you're not willing to give up a TV show or a movie so you can worship God, you are loving the world. You have to recognize the things that are keeping you from worshiping the Lord. Number two, the things of this world that consume most or all of our conversation. The things of this world that consume most Or all of our conversation. Here's a simple way to think about this one. What do you talk about? What do you talk about? Are your conversations full of words or topics that you'd be happy that your parents were in the room? Or happy that maybe even I'm in the room? To, uh, if you have allowed your love of the world to wrongfully taint the things you say, you're loving the world. And here's, here's the thing. It might not even be bad words. What do you consistently talk about with your friends? What do you consistently talk about when you're at, at, at church? You talk about the sports you play? You talk about the video games you're playing? You talk about that guy or girl you've got a crush on? What's consuming your conversation? Because if it's consuming your conversation, and it takes up a lot of what you talk about. That is an idol. Think in comparison how much you talk about video games or sports uh, as compared to how much you talk about your Savior. How often are you talking about the sports you play and how often do you talk about the God that you love? Can't love the world. Three, anything that I am unwilling to give up for God and his purposes. Anything that I'm unwilling to give up for God and his purposes. If it came down to it, would you choose between this worldly thing or would you choose your savior? Because if you are not, the thing that you're unwilling to give up is a worldly desire and it's your idol. Last one, always wanting to have more stuff or more praise. If you are always wanting to have more stuff or more praise, if this is your biggest goal in life, that all I want is stuff and stuff, or I want people to look at me, and I want people to like me, that is a worldly desire that you are loving. So these four things show us what we love, the things we talk about, the things we think about, the things we desire. That's showing us what we genuinely love, and we all struggle with sin in this room, every single one of us. So we can't just assume that we don't love the world. We have to actively look for the things of this world that we are falling in love with, and repent and flee that. We have to be critical of our hearts. All these desires are from a broken world. The sin that was brought into this world when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden has deeply impacted our lives It has deeply impacted this world and it's not it's made sin not this obvious thing' what's, what's really hard about sin is it's often really sneaky and it's hard to catch. Sin often looks perfectly good, but you just have the wrong intent in it. It's often a perfectly good uh, action, but you have the wrong intent. It's like eating. Eating, there's nothing wrong with eating. But if your heart in eating is gluttony, you're you're loving the world. You have to check your heart. The sin is throughout all the world. It's in all of us, and it has twisted our love. We so much easily, uh, so far easily fall in love with the world than we do with God. We have to actively fight it. We're we're choosing to love this temporal world that is going to pass. It's going to go away. We're choosing to love it rather than the Father. So we must remind ourselves daily that God is the source of eternal joy. God is the source of eternal joy. God, the creator of every single good thing is our source of ultimate joy, not this world, not his creation. You cannot satisfy yourself in the things of this world. When Christ calls us to come and follow him, he asks us to be ready to give up every single thing in our life. We have to be willing to give everything up in order to follow Christ. And we do this because we see that God is my satisfaction. That God is my joy, not him, her, or that thing. God is our source of eternal joy. So in this, as Christians, we have to see two things. Number one, we must seek the will of God. We must choose to be obedient to the Lord above all else. We seek to bring glory to his name above ours, above our friends, above our families. It's our purpose, it's what God created us. When you become a Christian, you seek to bring glory to God, not you. The second thing is we must remind ourselves daily because we forget that Jesus eternally satisfies. doesn't get boring. Christ's love for you, Christ's love for me does not get boring boring. Your iPhone 8, it'll get boring. Your new pair of shoes that you love, they'll get old and worn out. Your popularity that you think you have in school, it'll get, it'll get old. It'll fade, or, people, or you'll just stop being popular. All of it will go away. I promise Praise God that he took away our slavery to sin. If you desire to follow Christ, you can. He took away our slavery and our bondage to sin. Through his death on the cross, he came and abolished our slavery and bond to sin. He brought us to himself and he reunited this relationship that gives us eternal joy and satisfaction. So I encourage everyone, think about the things that you love. Think about the sinful, small, subtle things that are in your heart that are causing you to love the world and not love God because if you don't forsake the love of the world, if you don't ignore it, if you don't reject it, you will go to hell. Hell doesn't end. God hates sin that much. If you say you love God, you can't love the world. Praise God that He came and saved us. We boast in nothing but Christ alone as believers. We boast in Christ and the cross and all that He has done, not the sinful world. So let's ask so what? What do you love? What do you love? We're just going to read James 4.4. 4. James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself An enemy of God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Look at your hearts, brothers and sisters. What do you love? What do you do when no one's watching? What do you think about when no one else uh, obviously can know what you're thinking about? What consumes you? Critically look at your heart. I mean, if, if you love the world, you are God's enemy. God's gonna win. If you love the world, you are God's enemy. You will fade into destruction with this world. You will. But if you love Christ, if you love the Lord, you will be eternally satisfied. This passage is, is largely negative, right? It's telling us what not to do. But there's a positive aspect of it, right? Right? For to not love the world, that means we're to love God. It's not just saying get rid of any love in our life. Let's place our love where it properly needs to go. We can't fall into loving this sinful world. We have to seek to love the Lord. So ask yourselves, do I love the world or do I love the Father? Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You love us. I pray you would help us to be critical and insightful into our own hearts. You would show us what we really love. And Lord, if it's not you, I pray that you would give us a heart of repentance. God, that you would call many of these brothers and sisters these middle schoolers, that you would call many of them to repent and believe on you this weekend. That they would forsake the love of the world because it does nothing but lead to destruction. God, I pray that we would love you. Pray that we would love you. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen.